Well, if you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 8, and that's where we'll begin. What an incredible song, an incredible time of worship. Uh, We've been working our way through the book of Nehemiah. Today we come to the last message in the series, and we're going to focus in Nehemiah 8 and Nehemiah 9. While you're turning there, I, I, I want you to use your imaginations for a few moments and think of some time in your life that you have seen something that was simply amazing. Uh, What is something that you've seen taking your breath away perhaps? And maybe it was a natural um, uh, scenery, maybe you went to some national park, maybe you saw some great mountain, maybe it was uh, some talent that you've seen or somebody do something uh, great in singing or athletics. Now, I remember several years ago, I uh, was at the Niagara Falls and I'd, I had been there before, but I had only seen the falls from the top looking down. Have you been there? You stand at the top. It's amazing. You see all the water and it goes crashing down. And I had stood there and been amazed before, but uh, a few years ago, I think it was me and Donna and my youngest daughter, Ray, were there. And we decided to get into the Maid of the Mist. Do you know what that is? It's a boat that you get in below the falls. And I don't know, a couple hundred people they put on this boat at one time. And then the boat goes to the falls. And I think our, um, I think our youth choir did this this, uh, this past summer. And so the, the boat gets closer and closer. And as it gets closer to the falls, they get bigger and bigger. And as you get close to them, it is just amazing. I can remember thinking, I've never witnessed so much power, the sound of this water falling 17 stories. They said 500 swimming pools a minute could be filled by that water. And I don't know if that's just the Canadian part or the Canadian and the American part, but it was just an incredible amount of of water. And uh, it was so high in the power. And then the the big diesel engines in this boat would just wind as it was trying to get as close to as it could to the falls. It was an amazing thing. And you've got a story like that, something that you've seen that's just been amazing. Why is it that we're drawn to things like that? Why do we go across the country to see things like that? Why do we, why do we spend money and go to ball games, watch concerts? Why do people have fan sites? And why do people read magazines and watch television shows to keep up with people that they think are talented? I think it's because we're drawn In our hearts, we're drawn, we have this wired-in desire to admire something, to admire and to worship. I think there's something that is deeply satisfying about being amazed. Well, of course, the most amazing thing in the world is what? The most amazing thing is God. God has all the powerful. God is the most beautiful. What what does it mean to be beautiful? To be beautiful means that you can't improve something no matter what you add or what you take away. And of course, God is perfect. So God is, is beautiful. And so we have this desire built into us to to admire, to worship things. And the most wonderful thing we could worship is the Lord. David, the psalmist, wrote in Psalm 63, God, you are my God. 
I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry and desolate and without water. Uh, uh, David talked about just having this inner desire to, to see God, to be close to God, to worship God. There's something else about worship I want you to see before we jump into this uh, passage. Not only do we have this built-in desire to worship, but worship is different from every other activity we engage in uh, because worship is an end unto itself. Now, what I mean by that is everything else we do, we do for another reason. Uh, Let's think about things we do in our spiritual lives. Why do we read our Bibles? Well, we read our Bibles in order to experience something else. We read our Bibles in order to get wisdom. We read our Bibles in order to draw near to God. We read our Bibles in order to be encouraged. We read our Bibles in order uh, to be able to teach other people uh, the the good news uh, of the gospel. We read our Bibles, that's an important thing, but reading our Bibles is, is a step we take to get to another step. Why do we pray? Well, we pray Prayer is so important, but prayer is something we do to get somewhere else. We pray to be close to the Lord. We pray so that uh, we can see God move in our lives and the lives of other people. We pray so that we can converse with God. We pray, but prayer is not an ends unto itself. Uh, Why do we serve? Why do we serve God? Well, we serve God because we want to serve the kingdom, because we want to help other people come to know Christ. We serve God because that will bring honor and glory to God. We serve God because that's how we get the gospel to the four corners of the world. We serve God. That's important, but it's a means to an end. But we worship God just to worship. God is so wonderful and worship is so So wonderful, God has created us for the purpose of worship. Worship isn't a means to get to something else. Worship is it. Worship is the pinnacle. Worship is the highest. Worship is the fulfillment for what God has made us to do. He has created us to worship him. And so when we come to this hour every week, and I know that there can be other times and other ways that you worship the Lord. But when we come to this hour every week as a church, this is a special hour because we have been wired up to come and worship God. And, and, and worship is the most important thing we can do. This hour should be a special hour. And so I want us to look to Nehemiah chapter eight and learn some instructions, learn some principles about how we can best worship God. How does our God desire that we would worship him? And the answer is found in Nehemiah chapter eight. In fact, much of the worship that we do today is modeled on what we see in Nehemiah eight. This has become just the blueprint for worship today. Some 2,500 years later, we're worshiping almost exactly like they worshiped in Nehemiah chapter eight. This is an important passage. So let me read a few verses. We'll make some comments and we'll read uh, much of the chapter before we conclude. It says in verse one, all the people gathered together at the square in front of the water gate. And they asked the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given Israel. Now, The gates have been set in place. The walls have been built. That's what we've been focusing on the previous five weeks. 
in uh, just over seven weeks. They're able to rebuild all of these walls. It's a miracle what has happened. And Nehemiah, through his leadership, through his focus, has been the man that God has used to rebuild the walls. And now revival takes place as they bring out the book of the law and they begin to worship God in a formal manner. Look at verse 2. It says, On the first day of the seventh month, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. So everybody was there. Verse 3, while he was facing the square in front of the water gate, he read out out of it from daybreak until noon before the men, women, and those who could understand. So I know sometimes it seems like I preach forever, okay? And, And perhaps... But I just want you to note that they started at 6 a.m. and they finished at noon, and I don't think we've done that yet. So it goes on in that verse, all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Let me show you six elements here of, of worship. If worship is the most important thing that we can do, if worship is what we're created for, we need to know how to do it. And here we see in the verses we've read and some more that we'll add on in a moment, we see six important elements uh, for godly worship. Number one is your presence. If we're going to worship, if you're going to worship, you must be present. Look at verse one. All the people gathered together. How many of the people? All the people. It said later on, the men gathered, the women gathered, even the children gathered. All the people gathered for worship. The first part of worship, the first element, this may seem too simple to mention, but it's key. You must be present in order to worship. Now, I know that there are other ways and other times that you can worship, and I'm not denying that, but there's something special. When God instituted the church, when the, when the first followers said it will be on Resurrection Day, it will be on Sunday, the first day of the week that we'll gather together to worship, when this time was created, it became important all the way back now to Nehemiah chapter 8 that we be present for worship. Now, Why should we be present? Well, obviously, if you're not here, you're not here, right? If you're not here, H-E-R-E, then you will not hear H-E-A-R. You can't sing together with the family of God. You can't encourage the people around you. Uh, If you're not here, you are not here. But there's something more to it than this. We show our reverence to God. We honor the Lord with our presence. Now, Let me fuss just a little bit here at the beginning of the message. There has been something that has happened over the last 10 years in the life of most churches, uh, most good churches across the country. Uh, Christians who love the Lord, who read their Bibles every day, who pray, have, have begun to attend church less and less and less. And so 10 years ago, 15 years ago, to be an active person in a church meant that you went to church about 45 times a year. Today, to be an active person in church, to consider yourself an active person in church, people attend about 15 times or 20 times a year. Now you might say, well, pastor, where does it say in the Bible how many times I have to come? 
Well, it doesn't give us a number, but it does say that we, we must honor the Lord. And one of the most important ways you honor the Lord is by your presence. I think one of the problems that we have in the church, one of the reasons we don't grow spiritually, one of the reasons we have trouble with our children and our marriages and in so many other ways is we have failed to, to honor the Lord with our, with our presence. Let me ask you this. Why do you go to a funeral? Have you ever thought about that? In, in one sense, that's about the most pointless thing anybody ever does. You go to a funeral, and I don't mean to be just too glib here, but there's not anything you can do about it, right? You go to a funeral, the person has died, your presence at the funeral doesn't bring the person back to life, it doesn't affect the person at all. So why do you go to a funeral? You might say, well, we want to be a comfort to the family, but, 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 but really, that's, that's, there are other ways to be a comfort to the family. Uh, you probably won't have an opportunity to even talk to the family at the funeral, especially if there are a lot of people there. They may or may not know that you're there. That can't be the reason we go to funerals. Why should we go? Why do we go? We go to funerals to honor the person who has died. And that is a right and proper thing to do. Just your presence honors that person. We honor people, we honor the Lord with our presence. They did it here in Nehemiah chapter 8. That's still one of the main ways, one of the primary ways we honor the Lord today. Uh, so I have three daughters and probably talk about them too much, but uh, through the years, uh, my daughters have played many different musical instruments. Uh, the clarinet and the trumpet and the piano and the piano and the flute and the I don't know, a bunch of different instruments through the years. And so as a dad, I have been to more recitals than you can imagine. If you could get a degree in recitals, I would have that degree. I've been to recitals every kind of, and my wife has taught piano for years, so I, um, when, I, when I loved her more, I used to go to her recitals. Uh, maybe not so much now, but uh, I've been to a, many recitals. So let me tell you a secret. And so, Ray, don't listen to this. And my other kids aren't listening probably, but I don't go to the recitals because my kids are that good of a musician. Now, they are good. They're the best musicians ever. Nobody's kids have ever played better than mine. But, but just to be honest with you, I don't go because the music is just so incredible that I'm just drawn to the quality of the music. I, I have Apple Music. Maybe you're a little, little uh, older fashion and you have uh, CDs or, or tapes or records. Some of you won't even know what that is. But, but you know, you can go and you can buy music that, now don't tell my kids, but that is even better than my kids. I can pull up on Apple Music I can pull up any professional piano player who has ever created an album, and I can pull it up on my phone or pull it up on my computer, and I can sit there and listen to some high-fidelity speakers, and I can enjoy this incredible music. And it's not, it, it, the recitals aren't the same quality. Do you know what I mean? And even, of course, if my kids are wonderful, I still have to sit there through all of the other kids, right? And they're not near as wonderful as my kids. And so, so you know, they're, they're dink, 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 and you know, it's just, uh, so 
Why do I go to recitals? Not because of the quality of the music, but because I love and want to honor my kids. I go to the recitals. Yesterday, I, uh, I, I went to TCU to watch, uh, to watch the band. I really didn't even go to watch the, the football team. I was there. Andre was, uh, was there with his, with his son yesterday, not at TCU, but at the other, at his university. And, 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 and you went, uh, not, not because you've never seen it before, not, not, not because it was the most incredible thing ever, maybe, maybe it was, but, but you go because you love and you honor your, your children. Why do we come to worship? Why should you be here? Because you love and desire to honor the Lord uh, with your presence. Sometimes people will say, well, you know, I don't get anything out of church. Or people will say, I already know all the stuff that he says or some people will say, I like different songs. Well, who cares? <laughs> it's not primarily about any of that. It's about honoring the Lord. You know, I've, I've seen people uh, who, will, um, who will sometimes come a little late to a worship service because they want to skip the music and get the preaching. And I've known people who leave a little early because they want to get the music and skip the preaching. Did I say that? Uh, I may have said that backwards on one, but... But you know, when I, when I see that, I, I know that that's, that's a person who is so immature in their, in their walk with the Lord because it's not about the music or the preaching. Not first, it's about honoring the Lord. How do we worship? What is the first element to worship? Our presence. Let me go quickly. Number two, unity. Unity. If you look back at verse one, all the people gathered together. How many of the people? All the people. Nothing should unite us more as a church than when we come together for worship. We'll have different uh, interests. We'll have different opinions. But when we come together, we're all focused on the same thing. We're all worshiping the Lord. And that brings us together. Unity is number two. Number three is Bible teaching. We didn't read verse eight a moment ago, but I want to read it now. It says, they read out of the book of the law uh, the law of God, translating and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was read. What is the centerpiece of our worship? When we come together, there will always be special times of worship when we'll focus on celebrating or thanksgiving. But, but a typical worship service, what's, what is the centerpiece of that worship? Well, according to Scripture, it's not testimonies. Uh, it's not singing. It's not storytelling. It's not video. The, the centerpiece of our regular times of worship is the teaching of the Word of God. Now, if you look at verse 8 closely, you'll see that there are three things they did here. First, they read the Scripture. It says they read out of the book of the law of God. If you go to a worship service and, and a pastor stands up, a preacher stands up, and, and his sermon is, is not about the Scripture then you just need to get up and leave. That's the only time you've got permission to get up and leave a worship service is if the service, uh, the preacher, the preaching part of the service is not focused on the Word of God. So they read Scripture. And then it says they translated and they gave meaning to the Scripture. So not only did they read it, they explained it. And then it says that the people understood it, which means that they applied it to their lives. They didn't just understand some new spiritual principles, but they knew how those intersected with their lives. That's what we mean when we say that the, 
that the centerpiece of worship is the teaching of God's word. So what is my job? My job as I stand here is to teach this book as clearly and as persuasively as I can. Not to bring my opinions, not to share my uh, political viewpoints, not to give my philosophy of life, not to, not to do any of those things, but to stand and teach you what God's word has to say and make it as plain as I can. So what should you do? Let me give you some tips. Number one, bring your Bible. Bring your Bible. Have you noticed, have you ever wondered why we don't put all the verses on the screen? Did you notice a while ago we were reading through, and we'll do it again in a moment, right here in Nehemiah chapter 8, and none of those verses were on the screen, but we do put some verses there. Have you ever wondered why we do that? Because I want you to bring your Bible. And we put verses on the screen to keep you from turning here and turning there and turning back over here. But generally, the, the focus passage, we don't put that on the screen. And there's a reason for that. It's not just that we didn't get to it. But it, it is because I want you to open your Bible. I want you to find the passage, even if it's uncomfortable or difficult. And I want you to follow along, even if your verse, version is not exactly what my version is. I want you to be in the Word. The Word of God is so important to worship. You need to bring your Bible. Uh, secondly, you need to bring pen and paper. Uh, when something's important to us, we write it down. If you get, get a call tomorrow and, and uh, somebody says uh, they're an attorney and they represent an estate that, uh, of a person that you know just distantly, a distant relative, and they say, this person has died and left you a million dollars and you can go to the bank today to claim it, but you're going to need this 10-digit claim number. What's the first thing you're going to say? Wait, I want to write it down, right? If it's important, we write it down. And when you hear something in a message that's important to you, you should write it down. And then you should come expecting to learn. We ought to have an expectation that every time we, we encounter God's word, especially in a worship service, that we will be different, that we will change, that there will th be things to confess, things to change, commitments to make, uh, relationships to mend. We should learn something and we should change. Number four, very quickly, uh, the fourth part of worship element is reverence. Uh, let's, let's look at verse five. It says, Ezra opened the book in full view of the people since he was elevated above everyone, so he was on sort of a platform, and he opened it. And all the people stood up. They, they stood up. Now, does that mean we should stand every time the Word of God is read? No. Now, a lot of churches do that, and I sort of like to do that, but, 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 but there's nothing in the Bible that says that we have to stand. But what we should ask is, why did these people stand? Because it's the attitude here that's most important. They stood because they wanted to give special reverence to God's Word. This isn't just a a, a, a book of advice. This isn't just a book about God. This, this is the Word of God. And when we come to worship and the, when the Word is opened and the Word is read, we should have an attitude of reverence. When we go to a wedding and the bride comes in the back, the doors open, she steps forward, what does everybody do? We stand. Nobody says, well, I've seen her a hundred times before. I'm not going to stand. Uh, nobody says, well, does this mean I got to stand every single time I see her? 
no, we just, this time, this is, this is her wedding. She's walking down the aisle out of respect, out of reverence. We stand. We ought to have the same attitude when we come into the presence of God. That doesn't mean we can't enjoy the people around us. Doesn't mean everybody has to wear a suit and a tie or, or that everybody needs to wear a, uh, you know, a, a robe like, they, like Ezra or Nehemiah might have worn. Uh, but it means that we should come with an attitude of reverence. Number five, very quickly, we should have enthusiasm. Uh, look at verse six. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and with their hands uplifted, all the people said, amen, amen. And they knelt low and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Notice they did three things. They, they lifted their arms to worship. What would happen if somebody lifted their arms right in the middle of the sermon? They just, they just lifted their arms. Well, everybody around you would look at you like you were weird, but God would smile, okay? Just, just know that. When they read the scripture, people lifted their arms. And then people said, amen, amen. You ever been in a church where people say amen often? Let's practice that. The Lord is good. Amen. amen. That didn't hurt. Um, it says they knelt low and they worshiped the Lord with their faces. Now, why did they do that? It wasn't artificial, and it doesn't need to be artificial for us. Uh, you know, just raising their hand. I think you had a question, you know, that you wanted me to, to, to call on you, but... It doesn't need to be artificial, but, but we need to be expressive. If we really care, listen, this will just be an outworking of our worship. Uh, my, um, my wife and I pull for different football teams. Any of you, any of you a part of a mixed marriage like that? And it has caused some consternation through the years, uh, but we have learned. We've been married uh, 24 years, so we've learned how to overcome some of life's most difficult hurdles, and, and for us, this has been one of them. So I, I pull for all, the Auburn Tigers, and she pulls for the Mississippi State somebody, I'm not sure. <laughs> and so once a year, these two teams play each other. And, and honestly, in our years of marriage, sometimes her team is one, sometimes my team is one. I, I can tell you the exact record after the sermon if you're curious. <laughs> but we have come to this agreement. We do not discuss the game. Now up here on the platform, I mean, it's free reign, I'm serving the Lord. But um, we don't talk about, honestly, we don't talk about it at all. We don't watch it together. Uh, we, don't, um, we don't tell each other, good job, you know, for your team or bad. We, we just don't even talk about it. And so yesterday we were driving home from uh, seeing our, our daughter uh, in the marching band. And so I couldn't watch it on television. And so you'll, you'll think we have a terrible marriage, but we don't. This is a sign of health. Uh, I, had, I had earphones on and I was listening to, you know, my broadcasters tell their version of the game and she was listening to her broadcasters tell her version of the game. And we had decided that none of us would, we wouldn't celebrate, we wouldn't, you know, we would just sit there stoically. And, you know, when you listen to those broadcasts, I don't know if you've ever done that, but inevitably one will be 20 or 30 seconds ahead of the other one. And so it can just really be frustrating. And, and you know, I didn't want to rub her nose into it. I didn't want her to rub mine into it. And so our, we pledged to one another. We love you. Our marriage is slightly more important than Alabama or Auburn, Mississippi State. So we're just not, no reaction. So I'm driving. I got my hands on the steering wheel. The game has started. The first two minutes of the game, the most exciting first two minutes of any college football game ever. My team was winning 21 to nothing. Her team was looking for the bus. 
But the whole time, I'm, I've got my hands on the steering wheel. I don't smile. I've, I've puckered my lips together so I don't get to even the beginning of a smile. Uh, I look straight ahead. I don't look over. I think she pretended to be asleep. I know she was not. It was the hardest thing because, listen, and I have a spiritual point with this, I promise. I am, you know, I, I don't know. I think it's probably pretty childish that we get so excited about, you know, a football team. I've never... You know, I'm, I don't play for them. And I, I mean, it's, it's really a childish thing that my identity somehow is connected to some, some football team somewhere. But, but, you know, I get excited about it. That's my football team for whatever reason, and I get excited about it. And, and it was really hard to just show no expression during those first two minutes of the game. And when, when it comes to worship, listen, we ought to come with such a reverence and such a love that that it is hard for us not to, not to show emotion, not to lift our hands every once in a while, not to say amen, not, not, to, not to bow our heads as they did and, and pray or, or, or weep. Listen, we, we ought to be so in love with God that, that, that we can't hold back the emotions of worship. Uh, there must be enthusiasm, enthusiasm. And number six, very quickly, there needs to be a response Look all the way down to verse 14, and I, I wanted to leave this off because I didn't need to have six points today, but I, I just couldn't. So they're reading God's word. They're giving sense to God's word. We've skipped much here. Uh, they break off into Sunday school classes. Mark, I think Mark, oh, he's over there. Uh, they, they break off into Sunday school classes here. I mean, all the stuff we do is right here. It's modeled for us. But notice, and we could have talked about all of that. Didn't have time. But I, I do want you to see verse 16. It says, the people went out and brought back, I'm sorry, I want to begin in verse 14. It says, they found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites should dwell in shelters during the festival of the seventh month. And so they proclaimed and spread this news throughout their towns and in Jerusalem saying, go out to the hill country and bring back branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make shelters just as it is written. And then the people went out, brought back branches, made shelters. Let me just get to the point. This is the feast or the celebration of shelters. We could talk about what that means historically, what it means looking forward. There's much rich theology there. But here's what I want you to see. They are worshiping, they are studying God's word, and they find a problem. They find that God's word says to do something, and they're not doing it. They hadn't done it in a long time. So you know what they did? They stopped and they said, we need to do it. You see, worship is not just singing and, and, uh, and having enthusiasm and having unity and presence, all those things, of course. But worship means to do something about what you learn. It means that you have an encounter with God and you notice that there's, there's a difference between God's standard and, and you and so you do something about it. There was, there was a response. Now, look down to chapter 9, verse 1. I, I wish we could go from 6 a.m. to noon on this, on this passage. But it says, on the 24th day of this month, the Israelites assembled. They were fasting, wearing sackcloth, and had put dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and they confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. 
And while they stood in their places, they read from the book of the law of God uh, for a fourth of the day and spent a number, another fourth of the day in confession and worship of the Lord. So worship always involves a response. And you see two examples here. One, they saw something they weren't doing that they should have done. They stopped and did it. And then they, they recognized that they were guilty of sin, so they stopped and they confessed it. Worship, we have an invitation at the end. You don't have to come forward, but let me tell you the purpose of that invitation. So that you'll do something about it. Or you'll confess something about it. That makes it worship. Just with your head bowed and eyes closed, Andre's going to lead us in song, but I want to give you five questions, I think, five or six questions I have here, and I want you to think about these. You can sing with us, or if you can't multitask, just let the person next to you sing, and you think about these questions and respond to the Lord. Is there a sin you need to confess? Is there a relationship you need to mend? Are there commitments you need to make? Are there prayers you need to pray? Are there promises you need to keep? Are there changes you need to make? Father, let our worship today have response as we honor you with our presence and with our lips. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we respond to the Lord.